I want us to read our text tonight, and um, we're going to get through it. I know we don't have a lot of time. We're going to get through it anyways. Deuteronomy 7, verse 1. This is where we've been taking our foundation from for the last few weeks about giants and taking giants down. It says this. When the Lord your God brings you into a land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. So we're talking about every one of those nations being being nations of giants, according to Scripture. These were nations that the slaves, then slaves, that came out of Egypt, known as God's people, Israel, uh, were, going, were intended by God to go in and to take down those giants and to reclaim the land back for God. And they would actually claim that land for their own territory. And um, it's pretty easy to do that if there's nobody there, but not only were there enemies there, but there were giants. And we took down a couple giants already, and I want to talk tonight about the Girgashites giants, the Girgashites giant. And Girgashites, by definition, means this in the Hebrew. It means clay dwellers, low landers, dwelling in earthiness. I'm going to say it one more time. Girgashites means clay dwellers, low landers, dwelling in earthiness. So tonight, when you go on social media and say how good Pruitt did, uh, <clears throat> and take the right pose of me, come on, somebody, because y'all take bad pictures sometimes. I see my old Lord Jesus. Anyways, hashtag Gergeshites, and just see how many people say, huh, what's a Gergeshite? And you might tell them, you might have a spirit called Gergeshite we have to cast out in the name of Jesus. Because they're lowlanders, they're clay dwellers, they're dwelling in earthiness, which means to say this, they are fleshly people, people who live low, people who live in their sin. Everybody say amazing grace. Let me say this. Grace isn't to keep you from the judgment of sin. Grace is to keep you from sinning altogether. Y'all get that tonight? That's how good God's grace is and what he's developed it to become. And what we've taken it so far in the modern church is to say that grace says, I can do what I want to do. I can sin, and God's grace covers it all. That's not at all what the Bible says. It says, God forbid that you would sin, but his grace is deeper and goes further than sin ever could. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. You can clap in this church. It's a good church clapping. Tonight, I want to talk about what I'm seeing and have seen for a while in the body of Christ, where many of God's people, though they've not abandoned God as we would say that, but most people would talk like that. They say, well, God's, they've abandoned God. I don't believe that. But they haven't fully embraced him or his ways either. So they're somewhere stuck in the middle. And that's exactly where the enemy attacks God's people all the time. You've got to have a made-up mind to follow this king. Somebody say amen to that. You cannot say, I'm going to have a little of this and a little of that and stay down the middle. It's not that there's no gray areas with God. It's black or white. It's hot or cold. Come on, somebody. And he expects you to make the choice. There should be no ambiguity when it comes to Christianity or your walk with God. Everybody ought to know you're saved. Come on, church. At least act like it while you're in church, praise God. 
Do the people in the job know you're born again? Do the people at the gas station know you're saved? How about the neighbors? They know you're saved. Does the rest of your family know you're saved? That you got, the, you got the Holy Ghost living on the inside of you? There should be no ambiguity. Everybody ought to know where you stand. And I call it the American religion because the American religion is just whatever I want to believe. No basis for my belief. I don't have a stand on any particular issue. I just, whatever I believe is good for me. That is dangerous. That is a doctrine of devils. And that will take you right to hell. Somebody's got to say it, praise God. And so what we've got to do is make a decision. Either this God is who he says he is. Either that book we call the Bible is what it says it is or it is not. Come on, somebody. we got to get in with God or we have to make a decision. This is not for me. But one way or the other. See, the problem is the Bible says you either fall upon the rock and you get broken. Or the rock falls on you and you get crushed. I'd rather fall upon the rock. Come on, somebody. And my God can put me back together again. But if I'm crushed, I got nothing left to work with. I would need a supernatural miracle. My point is you this. It's either all the way in or it's not in at all. And what that allows for is when we're in between, it allows for I got a little bit of light and I got a little bit of darkness. I got a little bit of world and I got a little bit of church. I got a little bit of what I like and a little bit of the kingdom of God. I got a little bit of sin and a little bit of righteousness. I got, I got a little bit of friends that are godly and some friends that have no God in them whatsoever. So what happens in your life when this takes place is what Jesus said when he talked about how the wheat and the tares would grow up together in the field. But on the day of judgment, they would be what? Separated. Because when wheat and tares grow together, you can't really, you don't distinguish too well between what's a weed and what's the wheat. They both look the same. So you have to wait till the harvest to know what really is what. But needless to say, many of us tonight, we've not ever dealt with the weeds. We've never dealt with the issues of our life. We allow things to spring up the way that they are. And when that happens, the tares come. And it's not just wheat now. It's not just a lot of harvest. So sometimes we have good things that happen, and then a whole lot of times we got bad things that happen. And tares are talking about the undesirable things, the things you don't desire to happen in your life. That's what Jesus was saying. In Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Therefore we also, since we are all surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The weight, if you don't allow, which is the sin we're talking about tonight, if you don't, you don't deal with it, the weight will weigh you down to the ground. That's what the Gergeshite was. It was a clay dweller, a lowlander, dealing with earthiness. That's not what we're called to be. We're no longer called worms on the ground. Come on, somebody. But we're eagles in the spirit and we deserve to soar above our problems. Can I get two more people to say amen? amen? And so he's saying you got to deal with the weight because it keeps you in the lowland. And that weight is called sin. And that word sin there in Hebrews is the word iniquity. Everybody say iniquity. And iniquity means to be bent or twisted towards something. It's a proclivity toward something. There's something in you that keeps getting bent to go a particular way. In other words, iniquity might be the struggle you didn't ask for, but it's the struggle you got nonetheless. Because the Bible says every man is born into sin. 
And that makes us a sinner by, by the nature of being born in the earth. That's why we got to be born again because we were born wrong the first time. And though we committed no sin, we were still born into a life of sin and sin nature under Adam. We had to be redeemed by the last Adam, Jesus Christ. To be born again means all that I've done in my past is now forgiven and I've got new life in Christ Jesus. And I now decided to follow him all the way into eternity. That's what we're talking about. That's how you get the weight off. But the problem is, is that the sin, the sin called iniquity, it's a struggle that you have. And you may not have actually sold for it. You may not sold in, I'm talking about S-O-W-E-D. My words might not be pronounced quite right tonight because I'm in the spirit. Hallelujah. Sold. <laughs> sold into the ground, right? And, but yet it was sold nonetheless. And we don't know how it got there, but there it is nonetheless. And we're dealing with the proclivities that we have, the things that we continue to go back to, and we may not even understand why we do it. Iniquity is that thing in us that wants to sabotage us. It's like every time we get two paces forward, we get dragged back three paces. And now we can blame the devil, and we probably should. He's got to take some of the blame. But what about some of the things in our own life and our own thinking with our own desires, our own temptations? But there's a reason why we struggle with that sin. There's a reason why we deal with iniquity. Iniquity, like the Gergeshite, will keep you in the lowland, keep you down, keep you suppressed, keep you with things, your thoughts on earth rather than thoughts on heaven. Look at what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the man who wrote two-thirds of your Bible, your New Testament. For what I am doing, watch this, I do not understand. For what I will to do, what I want to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. This is the Apostle Paul. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin, iniquity that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me. Talking about this iniquity, this thing I was born into. The one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. There is a war. And that's what God, you know, the song choices tonight. And what God wanted to say a moment ago, God's warring tonight on our behalf. Because there's a war going on. And the war is in our own members, inside of us, bringing me into captivity, Paul said, to the law of sin, which is in my members. Then he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. He knew there was something else going on inside of him that had to be dealt with. It couldn't just be kept on and keep on in his life because he knew it was taking him out of the game. David had a problem with iniquity, had a problem with sin. He was God's man, y'all. God chose that guy, chose David to become the king, chose him. And he was a man of war. And he was a psalmist and a prophetic man. And yet he loved God with all his heart. And yet there was still a boy's heart inside of the man. In other words, he had angst on the inside of him. 
He was boyish in some of his decisions. He wasn't all the way matured when he should have been. It seemed like he was, but he would fall into certain things. And one day he sees Bathsheba, y'all know the story, and sees her bathing and lusts after her and knows who she is. Knows that the captain of his army is married to her. How does he know? It's his next door neighbor. That's how close they are in proximity and family and relationship. And yet he calls for her to lie with her, have sex with her, impregnates her. And then lies about it. And then tries to have the, her husband come home to sleep with her. So they would think it was her chi- their child together. But it didn't happen. He wouldn't sleep with, with this woman. Instead he, he guarded the king's palace. Being loyal, being faithful, doesn't deserve any harm. So the king has to get rid of him, and David sends him out to battle in the deepest part of battle so he would be killed on purpose. What does that make David? A murderer. What your Bible says. That's why I love the word of God. It gives nobody, cuts nobody a break. It just tells the truth. Amen, somebody. Why did he do that? I'm going to tell you why. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away, I put away, I put away childish things. When will we mature? When will we go to the next level and say the things in our life we got to own and we got to be responsible for and we got to take some responsibility here, some onus, and say, I haven't properly put away certain things in my life. You got to put away the bad behavior. You got to put away the drinking, the smoking. Come on, somebody. You got to put away withdrawing when you feel like people are attacking. Put away the anger and malice in your heart. Put away the sex thing that goes on with your telephone sometimes. Okay, y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. But you might know a friend, hallelujah, and it will help them. You can't get to the what until you understand the why. I can't get to what I'm called to do until I understand why I've been going through what I've gone through. Why do I overindulge? Why do I fall into one bad relationship after the other? Why am I constantly being taken advantage of? Why am I always broke as a joke? Why am I going for one bad scenario after the other? The Bible says all sin is a weight. All sin is a weight. But all weights are not necessarily a sin. There are some things that you've got to lay aside that are weights, that aren't necessarily sin, but they weigh you down into that gurgashite, into that low-level way of living in life. And let me put it to you this way. There are weights that aren't wrong for others, but may be very wrong for you. That's why you never compare yourself with somebody else. That's why... Come on, help me somebody tonight. I want to say a whole lot more. Hallelujah. I got my tennis shoes on. Oh, I got to straighten it out. Look at me. There we go. I can run tonight. Hallelujah. I feel lighter. Hallelujah. These are my Pentecostal shoes. Amen. What's that mean? That means I can jump pews. If I had a pew, I'd jump one. Praise God. I can run if I want to run. I can leap if I want to leap. I'll be out of breath. But I can do it. Praise God. So, so, weights 
are relative because what's wrong for others may not be wrong for you and what's right for others may be totally wrong for you. That's why you've got, see, when it comes to iniquity, iniquity is something that the nature of what you were, you were born into, you're bent towards. So that means you've got to deal with something that's individualized. It's not what everybody else may necessarily be going through exactly. So you've got to understand what, what you've, look, church, you've got to have a personal relationship with God. When you have a personal relationship with the Almighty, which he desires so much in us, he wants us for us so much, then he begins to personalize a life plan for you. And you never look at somebody else and say, well, you let them give away that. If God asks you, and he says, I don't want you doing this, why would you ever, ever, ever say anything else, anybody about anybody else, but they get to? Why? Because you're still a child in the spirit, and you haven't put away childish things. I'm preaching real good. Amen. So we all, I'm, this is everybody now. We all get this conviction because we all need this preaching tonight. And so my point is, so he asked you to do something. The privilege, the honor that the almighty would ask you anything. And you actually heard his voice. The honor that he would bestow upon you to say, this isn't good for you. I don't want you to do it. Well, my other friends, they get to date whoever they want to get date. I know, and look at their life. I don't want you to go through the same heartache they, all, they went through. I want you, to, I want you, I want you, what's that game, uh, what is that board game where you go around the board and you don't collect $200 and, yeah, Monopoly, Amen. I want to go right past all that, praise God. And we were playing another game the other night. Was that sorry, honey? And you hit a certain, uh, you get a certain part on the board, and you can slide. Come on. You can slide about like five, six paces ahead. I like that, praise God. Well, I'm going I'm to give you the slide right now. Obey God anyway. The struggle that you're in is because you made a decision. I'm going to preach it like I know it. You made a decision to do what you wanted to do. I got a friend of mine just ended up in divorce not that long ago, and I'm thinking I could have told you that. You wouldn't. Matter of fact, I did tell you that. You would not listen to me because you knew what was good for you. And after all, I don't know anything because that's what he said. That's what, that's what they were meaning. Because you've been married for 30-some years, and I've been lonely. What in the world does that got anything to do with truth? I'm going to preach it. Come on, somebody. If you're dealing, I don't need a doctor to have the same disease that I have to deal with me. I just need his expertise. I need his knowledge. I need his skill. He don't have to walk through my same pain. And maybe, maybe I haven't walked through some of the same pain because I decided to do it God's way rather than my way. Amen. And the pain that they're going through now as a result of that. I'll never forget. What time is it? What time is it? Someone says about that time? Okay, I'll quit. <laughs> Seriously, what time? I don't have a watch. 7.55. Devil is a liar. <laughs> Jesus is the Messiah. Come on, somebody say amen. So 
um, years ago, you've heard my story, but it's so powerful to me. When the Lord told me to cut my hair, and I was just a kid, and in those days, you had longer hair. And the Lord told me to cut my hair, and I heard the Lord. I was so honored that the Lord would challenge me to cut my hair. I did. I had an earring in my ear. Take it out. That's what he told me. Take it out. No one told me to do that. I didn't belong to a church where they were looking down at it or nothing like that. I, nothing. I just heard the Lord, and I obeyed God. And there has been so many times the Lord has reminded me of that little situation and a little favor will come in my life. And the Lord said, I just want to thank you again for doing what I asked you to do when you cut your hair and took the earring out. It was a big deal to me. See, God, look, he don't care about your long hair, by the way. He don't care about what color hair you got. He don't care if you got 18 earrings in both ears. He could care less. That's not what I'm talking about. It's talking about God will test you to see if you'll simply obey him with what he asked you to do. That's why you never point and say, but them, but they. No. Not talking about them and they. So the weight is for you. So there's general sin, and that's the law of sin. In other words, thou shalt not sin. Thou shalt not steal. That's a law. So that's general sin if you steal. Then there's the weight of sin that God says specifically to me. And he says, Jeff, you shall not. Or he says, your name. You shall not. That's the law of conviction. We would call it that, the law of conviction. So it's not general sin, but if I don't obey it, it's sin to me. But then there's another level called the law of wisdom. I've taught this before. I just want to share this again tonight for the remainder of my time. And the law of wisdom, this is where you live on another level with God. It's not a matter of it's general sin or sin convicted of in your personal life. It's not a matter of it's right or wrong alone. It's a matter of is it wise for me? Because just because something is permissible doesn't mean it's right. Just because I can doesn't mean I should. Somebody say amen. Just because I, there's no legal thing that God's ever said in his word that says that I can't do that doesn't mean I should be doing that in my life. Amen. Or you want to do something about something, but you want God to tell you yes or no. But he doesn't. You don't hear a yes or a no. That's when you have to ask, is what I'm going through or what's presented itself to me is that wise? God doesn't have to, look guys, once God teaches you how to do something, he doesn't have to reteach you to do it. Could you imagine that with your mom? And you're three years old and she ties your shoe. And you put your foot up on her lap and she ties your shoe, makes the bunny ears and runs around the thing and goes into the hole. Ties your shoes, teaches you how to do it. Mr. Rogers, remember Mr. Rogers? Taught you how to tie your shoes? Could you imagine going to Mr. Rogers when you're 35 years old? Say, Mr. Rogers, and you put your foot up on his lap. Can you tie my shoe? You know what I'm going to say? Even Mr. Rogers, even Mr. Rogers would say, uh, buy some slip-ons. Come on, somebody. I mean, I ain't tying the 35-year-old's shoes. Come on. Once you've been taught to do it, you're expected to do it. So you've got to use wisdom now. If I don't tie my shoe, I could trip on them laces, and this is going to be inconvenient. I could fall, blah, blah, blah. I'm using a simple example for you to understand that there are many things that God doesn't say yes or no to, but because he's taught you. 
and he's giving you strong teaching or from his word. You just have to use wisdom and discernment. Is this what God wants me to do? Look, iniquity doesn't show up on a daily basis. Iniquity is something that comes to you in cycles. It's always, and you'll see cycles throughout the leadership in the word of God, one cycle after the next in people's lives. And it's most often visit you right, right, before, right before a breakthrough comes is when the cycle of iniquity kicks in. So when you start getting tempted with things that you should already have control over, just to help you out, just know that your breakthrough is so close. It's so close. And all you've got to do now, all you've got to do now is trip up on iniquity, and the cycle continues another year or another se- till another season. Anger comes, tempted, tempted to be anger, lust, drinking, rejection, uh, getting high, whatever. I don't know what it is that people do these days. But whatever vice it may be or sin that it may be, it usually comes back up right before the miracle. I want to close with this. Peter, we know, denied Jesus three times. Jesus prophesied it would happen. He said it would not happen. It did. He not only felt bad for it. I mean, this man was so low he wanted to die for what he had done. He couldn't imagine they would ever deny Jesus. There's something in him. When Peter was on, he was all the way on. When he was off, all the way off. It was all about we got to serve God with all of our hearts to cussing and screaming somebody out and wanting to punch him out. I mean, that's what the Bible says. And so Jesus is resurrected and he ascent, before, he, before he ascends, he goes and visits his disciples, some others, in his resurrected state. And um, he goes to Peter. Where's Peter? Peter is in a boat fishing. What did Peter do before he went into ministry? He was a fisherman. Why in the world did he keep the boat? When God, help me, Holy Spirit, don't resurrect what should stay dead. If God says it's over, honey, it's over. I, I, just, I just posted that the other day, and I put it in the reverse, and the first part was everybody amens that part. The second part, they don't amen, amen as much. And the first part was that you don't, don't put a period where God puts a comma. Then I said reverse that because it's just the same. Don't put a comma where God puts a period. Amen, somebody. And Jesus, still in his mercy, calls Peter back into the fold, back into, into the place of ministry. And he deals with the heart of Peter to get that iniquity out of his heart. And Peter got it out. And when the time came for the greatest pressure of his life, you, th- you, thought, you thought that was rough. To deny Jesus, back th- th- then that was tough. But then he could have denied him and not been crucified upside down. But instead... He takes the cross and then says, please, crucify me upside down for I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Wow. He dealt with the iniquity in his life, the thing that was 
bent toward. All, he was all one way or the other. And now he was saying, I'll only be one way for the rest of my life. And I think God is calling people back to himself. I think there's a hunger in us. I think there's a great hunger on the inside. Tomorrow, stay tuned. If, if you follow me on Facebook, I'm going to share two dreams I had on Facebook tomorrow. I don't have time to do it tonight, but I'll do it live tomorrow morning. And you can catch it. If you don't catch it tomorrow, you'll catch it sometime this weekend. And I'm just telling you, God is saying something here. He's not done with us. Matter of fact, what he's about to do is going to be far greater than what we've ever had in our past. But there's a hunger to return, a hunger to make it right, to get right with the Almighty and not say I'm partly in the world and partly in the house of God, partly in, you know, in darkness and light. It doesn't work. The light and darkness never mixes. Matter of fact, when light comes on the scene, what happens to darkness? It's got to go. Amen. This is what the Spirit of God is saying. This is what the Lord is doing. And he's, it's time for us to bring down this spirit, this giant in our life that keeps us in a proclivity to go back, to go back, right before the breakthrough, to go back. I am tired of pastoring the church with one or four, to those four breakthroughs a year. I want to see every single one of you get a breakthrough from God. That's God's best.